Welcome to Grafted In. In this podcast, we'll be going over Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, is not one of the listed feasts in Exodus 23, verses 14 through 19. Those are the unleavened bread, the harvest, or Pentecost, and the final harvest in gathering or Sukkot. However, it is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23. The whole chapter lists all the seven feasts that are to be remembered. And so Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, is a little bit farther on down in the list because it falls into the time of the fall. There are three springtime feasts, and there are three in the fall. And this is one in the fall, like I said. So let's see where it came from, what it is, and what it's all about. In Leviticus 23, starting at verse 26, this is where it talks about the Day of Atonement. And it says, Then the Lord said, Be careful to celebrate the Day of Atonement On the tenth day of the month, nine days after the festival of trumpets, or the feast of trumpets. And it says, you must observe it as an official day for holy assembly. A day to deny yourselves. And a lot of people interpret that as to make a fast where you do not eat. And that is also uh, in the book of Acts where it says the day of fast, as it's referring to, that's what it's referring to, that you must deny yourself or fast and present special gifts to the Lord. Do no work during the entire day because of the day of atonement. When offerings or purification are made for you, making you right with the Lord your God, all who do not deny themselves that day will be cut off from God's people, and I will destroy anyone among you who does any work on that day. You must not do any work at all. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. This will be a Sabbath day of complete rest for you, and on that day you must deny yourselves, or like we said, fast. This day of rest will begin at sundown on the ninth day of the month and extend till sundown of the tenth day. So let's pause here and take a look at a couple things in these verses that are very, very, very important. First of all, notice the word must and permanent. And let's go back up to uh, verse 26. It says, you must observe it as an official day for holy assembly. Pretty plain, pretty clear. We don't have a choice. It says, you must observe this feast. And it says, anyone that does not fast or deny themselves, they'll be cut off from God's people. And he says, I'll destroy anyone who does any work on that day. So, Not only does it say you must observe this day and fast, but also he says if you do any work at all, you'll be cut off from my people. 
He says, I will destroy anyone among you that works on that day. You must, there's that word again, not do any work at all. And the next word, permanent or everlasting, says this is a permanent or everlasting law for you for all generations, from generation to generation, wherever you live. And it says it is a Sabbath day. And this is kind of a, one of those different things that it doesn't matter what day that it falls on, that's going to be a Sabbath day. For instance, usually Sabbath is on a, what we call Friday. But if this Day of Atonement falls, let's say, on a Tuesday, then that Tuesday is a Sabbath day. So it doesn't matter where it falls. Whatever it is, it's going to be a Sabbath day. Now, the Day of Atonement is shown in, in excellent, excellent form, and it tells all about it in Leviticus chapter 16. So let's go there now, and let's see what it says and how it started and what to do. So the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons, who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. The Lord said to Moses, Warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement, is there, and I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. Right, let's stop right there. All right, we're talking about the Day of Atonement, and here he's given Moses instructions to tell Aaron not to go into the Holy of Holies whenever he wants to because the Lord is present there in a cloud above the atonement center. So there's got to be something to this and the Day of Atonement has to do something with this atonement cover. Let's continue. When, en when Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow the instructions Fully, He must bring a young bull for a sin offering, offer a ram for the burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. So, so far, God is pretty explicit and pretty simple, right? This is what you do. This is what you wear, all right? So, continuing, Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. Then, he must Take the two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat that chosen by lot for the Lord. The other goat the scapegoat, chosen by lot to be sent away, will be kept alive, 
standing before the Lord, when it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. So this is kind of important here of, of what's going on and what the Day of Atonement is about. He's given instructions to have two goats and cast lots. Uh, one will be the sac sacrifice and the other will be set free into the wilderness called the scapegoat. And when that scapegoat is sent away, then that's when the people, it says, will be purified and made right with the Lord. So that's what's going on. Those are the instructions. And that's what has to do with the Day of Atonement. So let's continue. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right. After he has slaughtered the bull uh, as a sin offering, he will fill an incense burner with burning coals from the altar that stands before the Lord. Then he will take two handfuls of fragrant powdered incense and carry the burner and the incense behind the inner curtain. There, in the Lord's presence, he will put the incense on the burning coals so that a cloud of incense will rise over the ark's cover, the place of atonement that rests on the ark of the covenant. The ark's cover also being called the mercy seat. If he follows these instructions, he will not die. Then he must take some of the blood of the bull, dip his finger in it, sprinkle it on the east side of the atonement cover. He must sprinkle blood seven times with his finger in front of the atonement cover or mercy seat. All right, so, so far... Aaron has been given instructions to make an offering for himself and his family. So now comes the people. Then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover mercy seat and in front of it just as he did with the bull's blood. Through this process, he will purify the most holy place, or the Holy of Holies, and he will do the same for the entire tabernacle. Because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. Now, can you just imagine that? What he just did... He sprinkled the blood of a bull for he and his family. Then he sprinkled the blood of a goat for all the people. And it says to do the same thing throughout the whole tabernacle. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of sprinkling. <laughs> then it says, No one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron enters it for the purification ceremony in the most holy place. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself, his family, and all the congregation of Israel, making them right with the Lord. I'm going to pause here. There's a common myth that when the high priest was to go in once a year to do exactly what we're reading here, to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, that there was a rope 
tied around him. So in case he died, they could pull the rope and pull him out. Well, that is obviously false. Because here it says, no one is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron goes in, or the high priest. And no one may enter until he comes out. And he doesn't come out until the purifying of himself, his family, and the people has been completed exactly as instructed. And that's very important. And that's the whole gist of this Day of Atonement, that the high priest goes in and carries out the instructions and purifies he, himself, his family, and the people. And I want to point out something right here. Since we're talking about the Day of Atonement, it says when Aaron completes all this, as instructed, that their sins are atoned for. Now that does not mean forgiven. It means atoned. And let's go ahead and define that. Atonement, the word for it is kafar in Hebrew, which means to cover. So the sins were covered, not forgiven. And let's think of it as kind of like a credit card, if you will. When you make a purchase with a credit card, that credit card covers that cost until the real payment is made. So looking at it in that kind of sense that the blood of animals uh, was covering it like a credit card until the real payment could be made, which is the blood from our Savior, Messiah, Yeshua. And we can see that, obviously, in John 1.29, where it says, The next day John sees Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus was the only one that could take the sin away. In Psalms 103.12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And there's another prophecy in Micah 7.19. He will turn again, he will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. So not only removed, but forgotten and completely gone. And so there's two, two, two things here to look at. As far as the east is from the west and the depths of the sea. Wow, that, that's just amazing how Jesus' blood was able to do that. And that's why it's so much better than the blood of animals. Because of the seriousness of this, it is considered one of the holiest days of the year because the high priest was going into the Holy of Holies, the holiest place, and to cover the sins of himself, his family, and his people. And that's why it is considered one of the holiest days. And I want to make the point again that Christ's blood was everything, because the blood of animals could not. That's why in 
Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. It says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. There you go. It only covered it. It didn't take them away. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. So he's saying that the blood that was sacrificed in the tabernacle only covered, could not take away. Only the blood of the perfect Lamb of Jesus Christ is the one that can take away the sins. But when we look at this, we discover that on this holy day, it was a day when the nation of Israel was atoned for. The high priest would take off the royal garments and only have on white linen garments, like it was described uh, to Aaron, from Moses to Aaron. So he would take off his royal garb and put on only white linen. So I want to describe to you something that went on, it's uh, described in the Talmud. When they cast lots for the goats, there would be two of them, and one would be the scapegoat and one would be the sacrificial goat. When they cast lots for the Lord's goat, it would come up in the right hand. And that's the one that would be the sacrificed to the Lord. And also, the one that was the scapegoat, they tied a red ribbon around the horn. And when they sent it out into the wilderness, and when that took place, the people of Israel knew that their sins were atoned for because there was also another red ribbon on the door of the temple so that when that scapegoat went out and the sin was atoned for, the ribbon on the temple door would turn white. That's right, it would turn white. And that was a sign for all the people to know that their sins were atoned for. And that's where you get the scripture. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And so let me point out, knowing that when Jesus died, from that, and we died, was buried, and he rose again, from that point until the destruction of Israel and Jerusalem in AD 70 by the Romans was approximately 40 years. So during those 40 years, uh, right before the temple's destruction, there were some events that took place that was kind of pointing to Jesus all along and pointing to the Day of Atonement. First of all, when they cast lots for the Lord's scapegoat, it would always come up in the left hand, not the right hand. And why would that be? Because Yeshua, Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, had already been sacrificed. So naturally, the lots would always come up in the left hand. And number two, the scarlet ribbon on the temple doors stopped turning white. When they sent out the scapegoat, uh, the ribbon stayed red. It did not turn white because the sacrifice had already been made. 
they didn't need the sacrifice of animals anymore. Also, the westernmost light on the temple menorah uh, wouldn't stay lit. And there's places in the Talmud and, and the rabbis saying that when they lit the menorah, that the western one would always stay lit. The rest of them would go out. And when they would re-put oil in the menorah, that they would use the western one to light the rest of them. But the western one would always stay lit. But after Jesus, you know, died, buried, and rose again, after that, the menorah would not stay lit on the westernmost light. And we'll go into that when we study the menorah. And it's said that uh, Josephus accounts and other accounts of, of rabbinical writings that the temple doors would open and close by themselves, and which is a direct prophecy of Zechariah 11.1. 1. Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that thy fire may devour thy cedars. Then you think, well, that okay, the doors are open, closed by themselves. But the door to the front was very, very heavy, and it took a couple people to open it. Then the door going into the holy place was very large, probably about 10, 12 feet tall, and it is said to have taken about 10 to 20 men to open it. So imagine a door that big, that thick, that heavy, open and closing by itself. All right, and now I want to show you a fulfillment of prophecy with this day. And in order to do that, let's first look at the prophecy. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, which says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord had appointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He had sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. So let's remember that prophecy, and let's go on and show you how <laughs> this prophecy was fulfilled by Jesus, Yeshua himself. And let me give you a little background to show what was going on first. Jesus had just been baptized, and then he went into the wilderness for 40 days, where he was tempted and he fasted. And when he came out of the wilderness from 40 days, he went into the synagogue to teach. And guess what it is that he taught? Well... This is explained very well in Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14. And Jesus returned in power of the Holy Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him throughout all the region and round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And we had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, oh, here it comes, here it comes, 
We just one we just read, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and he sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Wow! That is just amazing. And, and what's amazing is, you can only read that Torah portion, that scripture, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, you can only read it one day in the synagogue out of the whole year. And what day do you have to read that scripture on? The day of the Feast of Atonement. Now, isn't that, that just, that's wow. So Jesus went in on this day, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, into the synagogue and read this passage saying, this day it is being fulfilled in front of your ears. You're hearing it fulfilled right here in front of you right now. That's just incredible. That's just wow. Wow, wow, wow. Now, of course, when some of them heard this, that's what made him so angry, and they rose up and they tried to kill him. But he was saying that he is the atonement, and I'm here, and this is what's going to happen, and, and they just couldn't take it. Now, this day, this Day of Atonement, the feast that we're talking about, is also described in, in many, many passages. Um, in Leviticus 16, like we said, it's full of burning coals from the fire of the altar of the Lord, and you put the incense upon the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat. I mean, there, there it is. And you see reference in Psalm 141.2, that the prayer may be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up my hands as evening sacrifice. And in Revelation 8, 3 through 6, uh, another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given to him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne, and the smoke of the incense when comes up the prayers of the saints ascended up before God this is talking about the day of atonement and the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar just as Aaron was told to and cast it to the earth and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquake and seven angels which had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound now seven angels seven trumpets how many times was Aaron told to dip his finger and sprinkle it on the mercy seat? Seven. And how many times from the goats? Seven. Hmm. And there in Revelation is, is saying the same thing. Now, 
this is also talking about a couple of other things. But when we look in Revelation 15, verse 8, it says, The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. You remember when it said when Aaron went in, nobody was able to go in but him? And it says the temple is filled with smoke? Very interesting. And in Revelation 19, uh, 2, verses 2, 13 through 15, and it says, uh, He avenged with blood, and he dipped his vesture in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And it goes on and says, Those that followed him on white horses were clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, you could only be dressed this way one time out of the whole year, the Day of Atonement. Remember it said Aaron, then the high priest had to put away their royal garbs, their royal garments, and wear white linen only on this day. And here it is in Revelation 19. And it goes on and says that, out of his mouth came a sharp sword, and with it he smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. It treadeth the winepress, fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Here it says, treadeth the winepress. Now, that is obviously in the fall time. So, when is the Feast of Atonement? It's in the fall. So I want to also show you one of the most exciting things about this feast, one of, I am so excited about this, and, and you should be, it is so prophetic for Israel. Prophetically on this day, the Day of Atonement, Israel as a nation will realize that Yeshua is their Messiah. Oh, that is so wonderful. Oh my gosh. On this day, Israel will recognize their Messiah. Oh my gosh. Second uh, Corinthians 3, 13 through 16, the end says, The veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. The veil shall be taken away. When they see and recognize, when they repent, the veil will be taken away and they will see their Yeshua, their Messiah. That is just exciting. That's why it says in Isaiah 25, 7 and 8, He will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. So they have a veil they cannot see. And so I've realized that through the years, uh, I'll go ahead and, and confess this now, and, and this is very common, especially in Western culture. Most of the church today has a veil over their face concerning the eternal plan God has for the Jews. The veil consists of, of, of two main parts, if you will. And the first part is the inability to recognize God's purpose for the Jews. And number two, the inability to understand the church's role for removing 
that veil. And when I finally came to terms with this, it, it sent cold chills down my spine. I was like, man, I have been so negligent and so ignorant of these things for so long that now I have to teach them and tell people, look, we don't recognize God's purpose for the Jews, and we don't understand our role to help remove the veil. Because God will remove the veil from both groups, but is waiting for something significant to happen. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, was the only day the high priest could speak to God face to face. So on the Day of Atonement, we will see him as he is. We will see him face to face. And this, this could only happen for the high priest once a year. So I'm just saying that man in, in, in Romans 11, 25 through 29 says, I would not, brethren, that you be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own conceits, that blindness is part, is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant to them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for their father's sakes, for the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Man, that just jumps out. The inability of us to recognize God's purpose for the Jews. God's purpose is he wants them to recognize their Messiah, Yeshua. He wants them to be saved. And that's what it said here in Romans 11, so that all of Israel will be saved, just as it is written. And our part in helping remove the veil, it says, this is a covenant to them. And for us, until the fullness of Gentiles come in. So the gospel has already been presented and offered to the Gentiles. And now we're waiting for the Day of Atonement and the veil to be lifted so that when Israel repents and the veil is lifted and they see their Messiah, that this is the glorious day. This, this is so glorious. So, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, Romans 10, 1. Can't say it any plainer. Inability to recognize God's purpose for the Jews, that was one. And Romans 10, 1 states it so clearly. So clearly. In Acts chapter 3, uh, 17 to 21. Now, brethren, I know that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had shown by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he had so fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, 
and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. There it is. He shall send Jesus. It says they have to repent and must receive Jesus, their Messiah. Man, the Day of Atonement is looking better and better. And now we can also see this veil analogy when we study in, in Genesis in the story of Judah and Jacob. And you know what happens in, in those stories. And I'm talking specifically uh, about Joseph and how Joseph, uh, his brothers plotted against him. They wanted to kill him, but they didn't. They put him in a pit and sold him. He went to Egypt and he became very, very powerful in Egypt and very, very important. Now, it says that when his brothers came to Egypt, they did not recognize their own brother. And that's what it says, Genesis 42, 21, concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Their veil was on their face. They could not see. And Judah spake to Jacob and saying, the man did solemnly protest unto you, saying, ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you, and I will be surety for him. And my hand that shall require him, I bring him unto thee. Let me bear the blame forever. So, you see that he's saying, hey, 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 let my little brother go. And uh, I'll be surety for him. But look what happens later on down into the story. All right. With Joseph. And we're looking at Genesis 45, 1 through 6. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him, his brothers. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brethren. He finally made himself known. He lifted the veil to where they could see who he was. They could finally see who he was. And he says at the end, he says, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves, whom ye sold to Egypt. Now therefore that ye sold me hither, for God did not send me before you. God did send me before you to preserve your life. So the brothers said they were very, very sorry for what they did. And when they did, he revealed himself. The veil was lifted, and he said, God sent me to preserve your life. That is the Day of Atonement. That's for the Jews. That is it. That, that's it in a nutshell. He's saying that he's just waiting, just waiting for them to repent and say they're sorry for what they did. Then... He'll reveal himself to them. The veil will be lifted. And he said, yes, I came to preserve your life. Wow. 
For Christians, this Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is a day to rejoice. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But it's also a time for us to intercede for the nation of Israel, that God would open their blind eyes to who their Messiah is. So I said that two things that the church today... Uh, has has missed missed it just completely missed it the, the church has a veil over their face concerning number one the inability to recognize god's purpose for the jews and number two to understand the church's role for removing the veil and i just clearly pointed out just like in the story of joseph that for us it's a time of rejoicing because of what he has done for us our, our redeemer our atonement, our sins have been forgiven, removed, blotted out, gone. And we need to share that with the nation of Israel so that the veil can be lifted, so they repent, and they can see their Messiah just the way we do. So I hope that explains it, and I hope that puts a new meaning and shows different light on the Day of Atonement and Yom Kippur. Shalom.